in the last um, week or so, I would say, in the meetings with you, all the different ones of you, <clears throat> it's been, I've been really struck, and this tends to happen to me oh, about this time, four or five weeks into most long retreats, just really struck both with the diversity of what you come in with, each of you, Actually, each one of you comes in with a diversity, you know, <laughs> like you never know who's going to walk through the door. You know, it's so changeable. And at this point in the retreat, I'm just really struck by really how intense it all is <laughs> and how much you're all going through in different ways, up and down, contraction, expansion, contraction, expansion, <laughs> up and down. <laughs> Let's get focused here. Um, but it's, it's really not overwhelming, but sometimes it's really inspiring to me. Sometimes I just have a sense of, whoa, you know, it's amazing sometimes that you keep going. But then other times, you know, the, the intensity is on the side of lots of energy, lots of inspiration, lots of openness. But just what I'm struck with is the, the commitment, the energy, the courage that it really takes to keep hanging in there like you are and to really meet what's occurring in all the different realms. And I know sometimes that's difficult. It can change so much. You know, sometimes the, the insight is just flowing. It's relaxed. It's spacious. You just see things coming and going. It's so clear that there's no problem, never has been, never will be. Right? And then the next time it's like, oh my God, I'm never going to see through the end of this. It's just hopeless. It's just never going anywhere. And it goes from profound ease and insight to profound identification, you know, and sometimes in the same day, sometimes over a series of days. And as it it's sort of like either the whole retreat, it's like life. It just, you know, kind of goes closing and opening, closing and opening, like the breath, or like the tides, or like the, really like the energy of the universe, or it's like a, a sine wave, up and down, up and down, up and down. And part of what's great about a longer retreat is hopefully you start to a little bit get it, that's just the nature of things. Instead of each up being your personal triumph and each down being your personal failure, then each up, okay, maybe the up isn't mine, but the down is certainly my personal <laughs> failure. And when Joseph just mentioned last night, or two nights ago, when he mentioned emptiness and compassion and how compassion is the natural expression of wisdom, of the heart-mind of emptiness, of, of when all the energy isn't coagulating into sense of me, there's so much space for empathy, for compassion. And in the up periods, in the expansion periods, that just seems obvious. Of course, compassion and wisdom is the natural state of things. In the down periods, I know sometimes, it, never mind even just compassion, but moving into the, even the mention, the possibility of bodhicitta, of the aspiration of uh, my practice, my life, 
being a source of awakening for all beings. Like, wow, are you kidding me? What does that have to do with my sitting here lost in aversion at this tingle in my back? And I mean, I'm ready to kill. I know it's a little overreactive, but I don't get what this has to do with compassion or bodhicitta. It doesn't really seem too connected. Um, but I'm not going to talk too much about compassion. <laughs> but one thing, I want to talk a little bit about the ups and downs and the sense of how when it's about me, it's much more difficult. <laughs> we know that, but I'll talk about it some more. But in terms of how our path, and each of our paths is different, and we never know how our path needs to unfold, even tomorrow, even in the next minute. But something I've really, I've learned, I really trust, except when I forget it, in my experience, (laughs) is that even when it seems like it is my particular suffering, my particular pain, my particular story, you know, and I'm really caught even, you could say, in the personal nature of it that really each of our so-called particular story is just the individual, personal, um, it's our particular experience as a representative of the suffering of all beings, so to speak. That in the particular, when we continue to simply be with it, open to it, meet it with kindness, with compassion, with courage, just to bear witness to our own incredibly painful or incredibly stupid pain. And when we just bear witness to that over and over, first that's the cultivation of compassion and wisdom, and we really see that this is just the particular expression of what is universal. Something Ajahn Sumedho used to say when he would start a talk in Thailand, he'd say, Welcome, brothers and sisters, in old age, disease, and death. (laughs) We're all in it together. And where instead of our tendency at times can be when you're in the down cycle of the sine wave, when you're in the contraction, it's like, of course it's about me. That's part of the contraction. But we tend to feel generally, that's not when you feel connected to all beings, is it? That's when we either want to go off and hide you don't want to come to an interview because you don't want to have to really admit how completely you're failing at the moment, even to yourself. Never mind to us. You don't even want to say it. Oh, it's not going good. I've completely failed. It's all about me. We don't tend to feel connected. But actually, any particular suffering, you think whatever you're going through, you're the only person who goes through it? No, maybe you'd like to be, but no, no. And instead of it being an isolating experience, simply by meeting our confusion or suffering or whatever with uh, mindfulness, of course, the kindness of mindfulness that's a quality of compassion, non-judging, not having an assumption what should happen, just the courage to keep showing up. The wisdom arises by itself, and by itself we start to, the expansion comes again. The opening 
into the fact that even though it seems like my individual little poor me, even this can be the avenue in, the connection into all beings. His Holiness the Dalai Lama said, well, it talks about compassion a lot, obviously, which is, you know, compassion is described as the, um, the quivering of the heart in response to suffering, feeling with, you know, just empathy, really, not a pushing away. And His Holiness says, how does it develop? Through deep insight into what suffering is. And guess how we get that deep insight, he says. <laughs> it arises through focusing, through opening to, through being present with our own experience. And then the compassion strengthens through the continual being open to our own experience. It strengthens with the empathy to ourselves, naturally moves into empathy with all beings, connectedness to all beings. And as Sony Rinpoche says, you know, just cultivate the correct motivation in your heart, just the compassion. It turns into bodhicitta all by itself. But this talk, I'm not concerned with bodhicitta because it'll happen all by itself. I just want to talk about, because of what he's saying here, in terms of the opening, in terms of the acceptance, in terms of the, the strength that it takes, which is enormous to be present for all this stuff. It's enormous strength over and over. But that's why the difficult times in life and the difficult times in retreat are so important. They're key to someone who's on a path of awakening. I mean, if we're in a path of, you know, avoid repress, deny, the difficult times aren't so key. But for the path we're on, they're so important. And so I just want to talk a little bit more about that tonight. Hopefully it's a little bit of a pep talk, but you never know. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) So as I mentioned, you know, watching the ebbs and the flows in your own practice and even though each, each thing that's happening is so immediate, right? It's just everything's so intense. Your world has both really uh, shrunk in a way, you know, to, to this area, these four walls, a lot more than you even realize. And so incidents that happen here reverberate hugely. Have you noticed that in your mind, in your heart? Hugely, hugely. Because all our conditioning still is popping up. It just happens to all be focused here. Like my teacher, uh, Utejaniya, said once, someone said to him, oh, you're a monk because you're giving up all desire. And he just cracked up. And he said, don't kid yourself. A monk can take all that craving you have in the world and that same amount of craving, bring it down to two things, you know, food and their robes, you know. <laughs> but the amount of craving can still be the same, you know. <laughs> so in a way, sometimes that's what's happening here. So when you're in the midst of an intense, open, beautiful experience, even though intellectually we go, I know, I know it's impermanent. I know it comes and goes. I'm seeing the mind that says, oh, finally you've got it. I'm seeing it, mm, I'm not clinging to this. And when it goes, which it does, we say, oh, it's okay. It's all right, I know it's going. I know it's going. It's kind of okay for a while. 
but somehow the next day, suddenly everything's just wrong and it's so intense. And each time, this is how it is. This is how it is. It's so up, it's so down. And even if you sat and looked back over these four and a half weeks, you may not even be able to remember how many changes you've gone through. You know, you may be able to remember some of them. So a little bit we get the sense, but still, when you're in them, it's so, it's everything. And so when insight and wisdom's there, it's so strong. And then it goes, and we're so caught. But with the added little um, extra goody of being able to see that we're caught, to actually know that we're caught and identified, whereas before we didn't know that. And since we know we're caught, and yesterday we weren't, clearly we shouldn't be now caught because we are caught because I'm useless. I can't do it. I did something. You know the whole, you know the whole thing. So doubt comes up, impatience, frustration, and whichever particular way your personality is inclined, it can go to doubt or self-doubt or frustration or impatience or out the door. I can't imagine why you're laughing. <laughs> We're also coming up against, as many of you have expressed this, and I think, I think it's been talked about, whatever views and expectations we hold about our abilities or the practice or what should be happening or what good practice, whatever it is. And even when we think we know what our expectations are, often there's really some subtle one in the background. I can't think how many people have said in the last, in the last few days, just as a, a passing reference and not a big deal, but well, at this point in the retreat, blah, blah, blah. It should be or it shouldn't be or compared to another retreat or what do I think is like, you know, compared to what? But at this point, so even that we're thinking anything, there's some subtle expectation as if we know, as if we know what should be happening. So our views, our ideas about ourselves, about practice, about what's going on are constantly being challenged. And really, day after day, even if it seems familiar to you, it's not. It's unknown territory. The conditions are never exactly the same as they were that other retreat when you experience the breath in this particular way and you know what the next thing should be. And then it isn't that. Oh, my God, what does this mean? It's better. It's worse. It's this. It's that. It's like, give it up. We don't know. We're always being challenged. But when... We like to like, have a, a framework, a path, that we can compare ourselves to, even if that makes us feel bad. At least we can have a path to compare ourselves to. It makes us feel good. That's even worse. I mean, it's both the same. It's both Sakaya Ditti. But it's really difficult. We get into the frustration, into the comparing, into the doubt, the self-doubt, when the reference point is me, is all about me. When the changes are just happening, you know, it's really calm, you're really present with the flow of changing objects, choiceless awareness is peaceful and all, and then it changes, but there's just really no clinging then, it's no problem. 
And that can happen. And then you're tired and things are not so clear, but the mind isn't really reactive. It's no problem. But the reverse when suddenly it's been all cloudy and it opens up and I'm not saying choiceless is better and cloudy is worse. I'm going by what people tend to judge themselves about. People don't usually say cloudy, great. Choiceless, flowing, "Hmm, I'm blowing it. Usually not. Um, When it goes from a way you like it, that you feel like it's effortless, it's flowing, and it changes. And there's the sense of what did I do wrong? How can I keep it? How come my, my concentration and mindfulness, which were proceeding very steadily for two and a half weeks, how come now it's all over the shop? What am I doing? How can I fix it? What does this mean? Right? And it's really, we're always looking to some reference point, to some um, pattern we can put it in, but it's really... The, the suffering here and the place that the thing that feeds our doubt and confusion is the Sakaya Ditti, the personality view. You know, we've mentioned this before. Ditti is view, Sakaya. Well, Saida Ulakana defines Sakaya as just the flow of the six sense experiences, right, that we've talked about a lot. Just the six things coming and going. Sakaya Ditti, well, actually, let's go to the Buddha. This is the way leading to the origination of personality, Sakaya Ditti. One regards, in parentheses, it says all phenomenon, but that's just a shorthand. We're saying one regards any one particular of the six arising experiences as this is mine, this I am, this is myself. Just, it's just a fast little, you know, so you go outside, it's chilly, I'm so cold. Or you're sitting here and there's a, a little sound and you go, I don't like that unpleasantness. Or there's a pain in the back, my back hurts. This is mine. Or you see someone else walking in that comparison, that mana, I'm so this, I'm so that. It's, the, it's really a clinging, just the movement of clinging. It just comes and goes in a moment. This is the Buddha again. This is the way leading to the cessation of personality. One regards any particular Sakaya, any particular sense experience, any of the five aggregates Sally talked about, which are also sense experiences. One regards thus, this is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. Now, sometimes that's just theoretical. Sometimes saying that doesn't connect. But sometimes, sometimes when you're just feeling relatively clear but a little caught up, you might just notice in relation to whatever's arising, just go, hmm, this is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. It's interesting. Not with judgment, not with just, hmm, this pain in my knee. Oh, my knee? Actually, where's the knee? There's sensation. The sensation is not me. It's not mine. It's not myself. You can just drop that in from time to time. But when it's all about me, my story, my failures, my uh, beautiful experience, it can be overwhelming. And when then it, it tanks, when it goes in the wrong direction, or it's suddenly really intensely overwhelming, or you just feel like, ah, oh, I can't do it. 
It's just too much. I can't do it. Stop a minute. First of all, we don't even know what the it is that I can't do, but I can't do it. <laughs> Open to the bigger picture. The Sakaya Ditti is it narrowed down to I've got to somehow do it better. I've got to somehow whatever it is. It just it's the big picture. This really helps me a lot when I'm with something. And sometimes it's not that I can't do it. Sometimes it's what's arising is just so difficult, and I'll get to that in a minute, that you really, you kind of know what to do, open to it, be with it, but something in you just says, I can't, you know, I can't do it. That's when I find consciously bringing in the bigger picture of this is, you know, the particular representation of this particular aspect of suffering in the world. That doesn't make it go away or better, but sometimes it gives me more courage, like more motivation to be with it. I want to say I don't mean it in the way that some people have said. It's like a way of denigrating your own suffering. Well, I feel this pain, but what about all the people who are in the hospital? What about I sh- so I shouldn't be complaining? Now, you might notice what that attitude is in the mind, right? It's aversion. We're not talking about aversion. Talking about, oh, okay, let me just for a moment be the representative even of something like hunger. You know, how can I be hungry when people are starving? I'm hungry. That could actually bring us into an empathy with people who are really hungry, or people who are really lost in confusion, or people. So sometimes that just helps me in the, okay, maybe I can be here for another moment. And whatever it is we're going through becomes the vehicle. It is the vehicle for compassion and wisdom. Nowhere else. Dogen Zenji said, you know, if you can't find the truth right where you are, where do you expect to find it? Only this. So when it's really difficult, I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, overwhelmingly unpleasant. But when we're falling into this frustration, this doubt, this I'm out the door, it's just, it's just too much. I can't do it. But especially the doubt and frustration, me, me, me. It's almost always the real coagulation around personality view, Sakaya Ditti, that's doing it. So the personality view forms, as I was reading there, about a moment of clinging, a moment of this is me, this is mine, this is myself. But of course, it immediately, as we talked about last week with all the thoughts and the feelings, immediately some whole story of personality forms from that, right? I'm this kind of person, I'm that kind of person, I'm such an angry person, I'm such a greedy person, I've always been hopeless at any kind of exercise, whatever it is. Changing all the time, but we don't notice that when we're caught in one particular one. And so when we're in the sense of this frustration, this, I just can't do this anymore. I can't bear it. Often, we're really then in a particular story of Sakaya Ditti that we believe. Sony Rinpoche again. So we create a cage for ourselves out of our emotions, out of our sense of personality, our sense of duality. And then here we sit, day in and day out. That's a little bleak, but sometimes it feels that way. Through the ideas the personality view, this is who I am. This is what I'm capable of. And as this practice is a continuing call to the courage to open into the unknown of each moment, 
to meet stuff we never thought we could meet. When we fall back into our personality beliefs, well, I, you know, this is beyond me. I'm just, you know, a simple soul. You know, I thought maybe I'd have a few nice meditation experiences, but I could never be enlightened. I mean, I come, I practice and all, but for me to really be free, if I really look at it, do I hold that possibility? Of course, as Semedo likes to say, it's not the personality that's enlightened, which is actually a huge relief. (laughs) So he said, actually, Ajahn Semedo said in a retreat we were on once, it was really interesting. He was talking about Westerners, people with like a Western education and cultural upbringing. And he said he feels that for that people with a Western education and upbringing, that one of the biggest hindrances is self-doubt. Self-doubt in terms of not having confidence in, faith in our own insights, our own experiences, momentary experiences of the potential of freedom, absolute moments of freedom, really seeing, say, the emptiness of personality view, or just seeing that something that you were really suffering from is no problem. I mean, you've all had seeing impermanence, seeing the uncontrollability and the freedom that comes with that. And he says for our insights into awareness, our liberating insights, in part, he thinks our self-doubt is so strong because this is Sumedha and I, because our personalities and our belief in our personalities is so strong that we really rely and take refuge in our personalities in a really strong way. And so our personality is often our reference point. So when something doesn't go the way we think it should, you know, we're back in our personality. Let me give an example. So when, when in a relaxed, non-grasping mode of practice. Now, there's not much Velcro. There's not much clinging. Things are just happening. The sine wave's just going. Then it might be really obvious, as Buddha Dasa says, that the sense of self is simply a condition that arises when there's grasping or clinging in the mind. That's all. Just a condition that arises when there's grasping or clinging in the mind clinging to anything, clinging to, you know, this thought, clinging to a view, clinging to a pleasant feeling, clinging to an extra piece of toast, whatever it is. And that can also be noticed. Sense of self arises. Sense of self vanishes. It's really, you know, no biggie. Just another thing to notice. Well, we don't, there's no personality view really going on at that time. Even so, emotions can be coming, thoughts are coming, our personality patterns can still be running. But we're just seeing them, causes and conditions. I know if I walk into um, a particular situation, say I'm, I'm by myself, if I'm on a retreat and I've been just in my room sitting and just by myself, and then I walk into the dining room, unless I'm incredibly, incredibly still in the mind, as soon as they're seeing, little judgments start to come up, okay? But that can just be seen as cause and effect, cause and effect. It just goes into empty space. There's no big personality view around that. It's fine. There's a tenderness. There's a peace. 
And I said, oh, this is how it is. You could just really see it coming and going. No problem. And then as you know, the contraction starts. You can't quite say why it changed. You can see it's a little more sticky. There's the judgment coming. You're like, oh, judgment, but it's okay. I'm going to see. It's coming. It's a little more sticky, but you're still seeing it. It gets stickier and stickier, and then no problem. And then all of a sudden, it is a problem, a big problem. I am so judgmental. Why doesn't this stop? It was so clear. How can I get caught back in this again? I, I, I. And we're back in. This is what somato means. We really believe this view of I did this. I shouldn't be doing this. I should be better. But of course, this is the type of person I am. What do I expect? I expect to be enlightened. I know, you know, okay, I'll schlep through another day, another week, another month. I'll keep doing it because what else is there to do? But we all know, where's it going to go? Nowhere. Because my personality is so strong. And this one we really believe. We really believe. We take refuge in our personality so much. It's the default reference point. And from this place comes what is where it gets really hard sometimes to keep going. Let me just give you an example of how it could be different. Personality. A friend of mine, Burmese guy, um, we were on a retreat in, in Burma, and he was translating. And he hasn't done too much uh, practice. He's very intellectual, but still different conditioning. And he was translating for Ulakana. And the, the instructions were the noting practice where you note whatever's arising. And as Ulakana described it, say he was saying, if anger arises, you note anger, 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 and it goes away. And this arises, you note you know, sadness, 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 and it goes away. And then he left. And then sometimes the teachers, we would take questions. And one American uh, Canadian guy said, well, I note it three times and it doesn't go away. What am I doing wrong? You know, and he's really upset. And what can I do? And it'll last longer than three times. And you know, we're all saying, of course, never mind. You know, all the stuff we tell you. And later, my friend who was the translator said, oh, that was so interesting because it doesn't go away in three times for us either. And I said, oh. I said, that's so interesting to hear what you said. I said, well, what do you do when it doesn't go away? He said, well, we go, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> You get a sense of the difference, <laughs> the suffering that comes. And so just by the nature, I was listening to um, a talk. I had a talk on a, a CD by Pema Chodron. I was just driving in my car. And she was talking about compassion. But she got on a, a, a thing about this particular, this, what I remember is, she was talking about how in life, and in retreat, both. In retreat is just kind of you know, magnified, intensified. But as we stay on a path of practice, a path of awakening, anyone who stays on a path of really exploring our experience, our mind and body in a steady way, we're going to come up at points against that which we really, really really don't want to have to face one way or another in life or in retreat, you know? I mean, we've 
that's a lot of what starts to happen here at this point on retreat. And it might be some huge trauma from the past. A lot of times it can just be, you know, irritation or discomfort or sleepiness. It's not that it has to be some huge, it might be, but it doesn't have to be. But it's some patterns of mind that we just unconsciously almost have structured our lives around not having to totally be there with it. You know, look, maybe, or not, but we can move away. And here, as the spirals, I say the sine waves, but it's also like spirals. Have you noticed you keep seeing the same insights over and over, deeper and deeper? But I saw that one. I got it already. I know this is a habit. I'm ready to be done with it. No, you're not. Down and down, spiral, spiral. It's got to come in a deeper, more subtle way. And so that which we really don't want to be with can take many forms and different intensities at different times. But just to know that it's, it's not a mistake, but it's what, what requires so much courage and steadfastness and faith and compassion to just continue to show up, you know, in every sitting, in every walking. By this time, you know, you're more or less, more or less, aware as you're moving through the day, as you're doing stuff, you really, I think, probably have got it that your mind and body's going with you wherever you go. You really, really can't get away from it too well. And so when we're in the Sakaya Ditti, patterns can come up. It can be unworthiness. It can be loneliness. It can be the groundlessness of impermanence, the chaos of no control. It could be the judgment of no clear progress, it could be aggression, it could be boredom, massive boredom, it could be anything, or all of the above, different things at different times. But when it comes up, I can't do it. What Pema Chodron was saying, she had noticed in, I guess, all her years in being in the monastery and working with people, that she said so often people come and I, I don't know, for the longer retreats or shorter retreats, or she's seen them working through their lives. And she said they can come and be a, a few years. And they're coming and they're practicing, but they're mostly, you know, getting the goodies. Then the I came to feel a little bit better, come to have some nice meditation, come to feel better in their life, which there's nothing wrong with feeling better in our lives. Everybody around us feels better if we feel better in our lives. I'm not putting that down. But she says she noticed how when, for some people, it hits this place that we don't even know we don't want to go there, but we don't. She says, they're out the door, just out the door. It's like, oh, this isn't what I signed up for. You know? I'm not saying anyone here is doing it. I'm saying you're all still here. Really, maybe right now you're in a space where you're going, oh, this is great. I'm in the, I'm in the, um, the dessert phase. That's great. I, we need to have some dessert phase. So that we can go back and, okay, now can I find the courage? Can I find the wisdom to meet this new thing with compassion? And to really trust this isn't something going wrong. This is really the depth of uh, identification of Sakaya Ditti, of personality view, kind of opening up to be met with wisdom and compassion. This is really how we meet this right now. How we meet this difficult experience is the cultivation of wisdom and compassion, right? Compassion isn't something that happens out there. It's like meeting this experience right now without aggression, 
without pushing away, without needing to change. You know, just what we've been blabbing about the whole time. There's nothing new about that. But noticing, it's not about making the experience better, but just the fact that this for a moment, you take a breath and you go, okay, fear, fear is like this. Quite a few people have mentioned they've been just for a moment able, fear is like this. That's so different from when fear is driving the bus, when fear is telling us all the stories, all the stuff we do not to feel fear. Or aggression, or greed, or loneliness, or grief, or impatience, or you name it. No, we all have our ones. And so, as, as Pavement Children said, it's like many people are out the door. I just want you to appreciate that you're not out the door. We may, you know, take a little, you know, hike in our heads. But then you wake up and you're still here. That's okay. Because this isn't about pushing. But it's about finding that, that motivation that comes really from love of awakening, from kindness, from courage. The courage actually comes from the wisdom, the faith, that gives us a stronger courage to keep going. And that's why, as you go along, it both gets easier and more difficult at the same time. Have you noticed that sometimes? It's like what you're going through maybe the last couple weeks, you think, oh, this is just what I was going through in the beginning, but it's not. It's so much more intense. You really would have been out the door in the beginning. But now people are coming in and describing this intense stuff, and I'm just starting to think, well, how are you doing? They go, oh, but I'm really fine. I really have the balance. I have the courage. I have the wisdom to be with this. And you do. That's huge. That's amazing. And that's a movement out of Sakaya Ditti to see we have no clue what's really possible. You know, not to limit ourselves with our personality beliefs. So just some examples of like when we get to this place of, okay, that's it. That's it. I don't have the motivation to keep going. Just to recognize those and see we can find it. Again, one is the, the, the strong thing of I, it's all about me. I can't do it. It's not going right. I had it, but I lost it. And that doesn't sound like much in the beginning of practice, but as you're getting deeper in, sometimes the fear that actually this, the way the meditation is going is a sign that you're never really going to be able to do it can be terrifying. I'm really never going to understand the truth can be totally terrifying. There's a, I think someone referred to it, but this is in the sutta, where uh, a monk named Asaji was, um, he was dying. He was sick and dying. And the Buddha came to him and said, as he was dying, and this was kind of a common thing he would say to to monks, he said, I hope you are not troubled by remorse and regret in regard to your actions, in regard to your sila. It was a very common thing the Buddha would say, you know, don't be troubled. And uh, Asaji said, I do. I have quite a lot of remorse and regret. And the Buddha said, in regard to your virtue? Or he said, no, 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 not that. He said, well, then what? If you have nothing to reproach yourself in regard to virtue, why are you so troubled by remorse? And Asaji said, formerly, venerable sir, when I was ill, I could keep on tranquilizing the bodily formations, but now I cannot obtain concentration. The guy's dying. I cannot obtain concentration. And as I cannot obtain concentration, it occurs to me, 
let me not fall away. Let me not fall away from the path. Let me not fall away from awakening. So he's dying and he's in this, you know, deep panic, really, because he can't concentrate, that he's lost the path. Lucky he had the Buddha there. (laughs) Because he said, hey, those ascetics and Brahmins, Asaji, who regard concentration as the essence and identify concentration with asceticism, who fail to obtain concentration, they might think, let us not fall away. But then he gives them a whole, what do you think? Is form permanent or impermanent? And then the whole, you know, the whole um, five aggregates, you know, the consciousness, or the whole five aggregates Sally talked about. And he goes through the whole thing of um, everything's impermanent, including mental formations, which concentration is. So therefore, and you understand that there's nothing to fall away. You're not falling away. But see how even someone who had been practicing with the Buddha and, and quite attained and can fall prey to that Sakaya Ditti of I've lost my concentration, it's all over, and I'm dying without having awakened. Panic, total panic. And we say, no, that's not true. So here we're practicing that, practicing it over and over and over, you know? When you say, oh, no, I've lost it. Right then, that's where you bring in the awareness. Oh, I've lost it, feels like this. Samedo, Sakaya Ditti, feels like this. And there's awareness there. That's all. You don't have to fix it or talk back to it or rearrange it or get a new personality or anything. Oh, I've lost it, feels like this. And you're back with awareness. Another place we kind of, I call it hitting a wall where we just think, I've really worked hard, but it's over. I can't do it one more time, is often when we're with physical or mental experience, as I said before, that is actually very, very difficult, very painful physical experience, very painful mental experience. And many of you have been going through that, you know. And it gets harder when we, especially when it's a, a difficult habit of mind, when we not only keep getting caught in it, but we also see that we're getting caught in it. I'm actually more neurotic since I started meditating than less. (laughs) I not only get angry and yell at someone, I also deeply feel the shame of being angry, and I add on it the shame of being a bad meditator on top of it, you know, and it's like, oh, great, you know. (laughs) Or the pain and the reactivity, whatever. I just, I can't handle it anymore. Sumedho also had a great line talking about something else in Thailand, and he sweating through his robes in the hot season he was talking about. It's just, oh, you just, if you haven't been in a hot season in Asia with all these robes on, it really is tin roof baking. It's like you're in a 150-degree oven in the sun. Uh, and he said he, felt, he would just feel like, I can't bear it. I can't bear another moment. And then I'd find that I could. And that's really how it is. I get to a place of physical pain, or more often it's aversion in the mind. Not that you're pushing, but the mind just kind of shuts down. You go, I can't bear this anymore. This is unbearable. And I ask myself at that point, I'll go, oh, really? And this isn't a judgment. I'll go, what's so unbearable about it? It's a way of getting into what actually is so unbearable about this right now. I usually can't find what's unbearable about it. Although, 
a hint, there's almost always a version in the mind. Pretty much, there's always a version. That doesn't mean, as we've said, you can be having strong um, emotional memories, trauma, fear, whatever, and at times the energy of the emotion is much stronger than the energy of mindfulness, and you're just getting swept away over and over. So the skillful thing doesn't mean push through it. That might mean you back off. You change your object of awareness. You, you go to metta. You take a walk. But that's not saying, I can't do it. That's saying, oh, okay, let me find a way to balance the awareness and strengthen the heart to keep on exploring. That's very different. That's skillful means. That's wisdom. We all do that. Sometimes, again, I said, it's just that sense of, I've seen this so much. This is such a strong habit. I'm never going to get free of it. And we're back in that cage of Sakaya Ditti where we don't trust beyond our personality view. Where we don't trust the depth of our own aspiration, of our own motivation, of what's possible. Where we think we know, but really we have no clue. When you first started on on meditating, however long ago that was, would you ever have imagined you'd come on a six-week or a three-month silent retreat? You know, you think you could bear it? You know, the first retreat, like, you know, it's, oh, my God. Most people's first retreat is really hard. And if it's not, then your next retreats are even harder. But <laughs> So we really have no clue. And then another place that I want to mention, and this is a little different, is not exactly that strong suffering, But as you start to see hmm, some intimation that freedom from clinging or opening to the groundlessness of change, the groundlessness of no stable place to rest, we start to get a sense of some idea I'm going to lose some sense of myself, something you don't even know what. I, I used this kind of feeling of some sense of your personality that's comfortable. Or it's often a projection. It's not actuality often, but a projection of I just, I'm not going to care about beauty anymore. I'm not going to care about my family. And even though Joseph was talking about, we still appreciate pleasant. But it is different without the clinging. It is. We're not so driven by it. And it does happen that things that were so incredibly important aren't so important anymore. And the mind goes, but I I don't know if I want to give up whatever, fill in the blanks. I don't want everything to be all dull, gray. I can't tell the difference between pleasant and unpleasant and beauty and garbage, you know, and I can't, you know, if a leper's finger falls in my food bowl, I don't care, which is one of the stories of Mahakashapa. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm not aiming for that one. I don't think so, you know. <laughs> but it can, in a subtle but quite profound way, be like a, like a sense of a sense of dying to something, and we don't want to die to that. There's been many times in my practice where it really uh, a deep sense of of a real grief, as if some part of me, I mean, this is a concept, right, but some part of me, some 
sense of Carol personality, I, even, I couldn't even say what, is dying, is going away, is being lost. And there's this sense of wanting to hold on to it. Why? God knows. It wasn't so lovely. But a sense of wanting <laughs> to hold on to it. Uh, a comfort with the familiar, you know? Like it's an old cloak an old shabby cloak <laughs> we put on, but it's me, and I'm familiar with it, and I don't want to look in these other possibilities. It's just, it's just a habit. But it's like a, a series of small deaths. So we mourn them and find the courage, find the willingness to step up again, to be present, to see we really don't know where the next step's going to go. One of my, my teachers who used to say, pick up your foot and then don't put it down again anywhere. It's kind of like that. So sometimes in practice, the, the places as you practice more and more that get the most unsettling, maybe the most make us want to, you know, roll up the mat and leave, is when we're experiencing the deeply unsatisfactory nature of things. There's times in practice when the so-called dukkha lens, you know, nothing's really satisfying. That's the first noble truth. There's times that's just so obvious, you know, and there's nowhere to go to get away from it. It's true, but it's not complete. It's not where we stay. But there's times when we just see that there's no home in the mind, in the body, in the world. I went through a phase where I knew that was true, but it would come up. There's no home, and it was terrifying terrifying. There was no home, but it was terrifying. And my mind would go, I can't bear it. And go, well, what actually can't you bear? I don't know, but I can't bear it. And it would keep going on and on and on. It's a phase. It's a phase. But it's frightening. It's disconcerting. Or the no control. Everything gets chaotic. At times, choiceless awareness is open, spacious, peaceful. And then all of a sudden, it's not. You still think, oh, I was doing open choices, but now it's chaos. Everything's going like crazy. It's not, I can't just notice what's happening. It's all over, it's chaos. It's like, yes, samsara is messy. It's not all nice and tidy. You know, it doesn't mean anything's wrong, but it's very disorienting. Stephen Batchelor says, emptiness is not just the experience of oceanic bliss. It is a falling apart of all of our strategies of self-interest, self-centeredness, of seeming protection, seeming protection. That's why it's so scary sometimes. And although it's freeing, it can also bring up great disconcertion, confusion, dis-ease, even fear. It's like being in no man's land. We're losing our reference points. And that's when we want to swoop back to the Sakaya Ditti, our reference point, you know, that cage, but it's our reference point. But you don't have to even think about it all. It's just that willingness to notice fear. 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 That's all we need to do. Meet that with karuna, with compassion. And we find we have the courage to recommit over and over and over to what? We don't know. When we started out, we might have had some idea what we wanted, where we were going. I mean, we have to. We wouldn't have started without some idea. And I I imagine maybe you're finding your ideas of 
what this path is about, what freedom might be, where it's going, changing. I bet for sure your ideas, even your ideas of who you are and what you're capable of have really changed. But then we, you know, solidify new ideas. But as the wisdom grows and the compassion grows, so the faith grows. And even though the, what we open to is even more unknown, more disconcerting, less and less landmarks, there's a stronger faith, a stronger wisdom to meet it. So practice gets both more difficult and easier as we go along. But there's no way to really avoid, like Pema Chodron said, that thing we really don't want to meet. What we do is find we have more wisdom and more compassion and more faith and courage to actually meet that thing, whatever it is, a little bit at a time. So I just want to give a, like a story, an allegory that I really like. I've used this before that really gives me a sense of this, of how we have to keep making choices over and over. Really? Every time you show up again, when it's difficult, you've made that intention. Okay, you haven't made it. The intention has arisen. Let me be here for this moment. That's an intention of wisdom, of courage, of resolve, which is one of the paramis, of compassion. Let me just meet this moment. Let me just meet this moment. I don't know where it's going, but let me just lift up my foot again. And over and over and over, we're making that commitment. We're remotivating ourselves. You know, it's not just a one-time thing. That's why I have so much respect for all of you being here. It's almost like some days, on the hard days, it's like you have to make that commitment every moment almost, just to stay in the sitting. Just to get up and, you know, you get up and your mind says, I'm out of here. And then you find yourself in the walking room doing walking, you know. <laughs> and so then you're walking and it's at the end of this walk and that's really it. And then you find yourself in the sitting doing the sitting. You're showing up because the faith gives you the energy to show up. And that energy that gives more wisdom, that gives more compassion, that gives more courage, that gives more faith. And it just keeps spiraling and opening deeper and deeper into the unknown. A couple of years ago, I, was, I had a bad flu. And I was home for a couple of weeks. And I couldn't read or anything, so I was watching videos. And so I ended up watching you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I watched the whole trilogy. Well, I'd seen it before, but I just you know, watched it all in a row. And so then I, I'm sure. Maybe some of you haven't seen it, but probably a lot of you know the story of... Anyway, it's a whole allegory, really. And I'll just tell you a little of it, because it really struck me of how the courage of choosing is strengthened by wisdom, and we go into situations we never thought we could face. And then it not only strengthens our courage, it strengthens our wisdom and compassion, and it just it has a momentum all its own. So this little being Frodo, you know, this hobbit, he gets involved in this whole quest because he has faith in a wise, older wizard. So, so the, you know, the ring of power, which is evil, the wizard tells him Frodo has no clue. And he's just given this in his little safe hobbit world, you know, kind of like the little perfect uh, English countryside world where nothing, there's just not really suffering. And he has to take this ring out of his hobbit world to a nearby place he's never been and give it there. And, and he's told it's dangerous, don't tell anyone. But some friends go with him. 
So he's nervous, but it's an adventure. He's never been out, you know, and he's trying to do good, and he has no clue, no clue what he's getting involved in. You know, he couldn't even imagine if he wanted to. And so this trip to this little nearby town outside of Havatown is a million times more dangerous than he thought. These, these dark riders, these like wraiths, they're ring wraiths, they're like ghosts on their horses are trying to kill him and his friends. They barely make it to this place in the pouring rain. They get into this, this place is kind of like, you know, coarse, not evil, but really coarse men and they're really out of their element. Thank God, here we are, Gandalf's gonna be here, we can give him the thing. Well, Gandalf isn't there, nobody's heard of him. They don't know what to do. And then some these riders come again and they start trying to kill these little guys. And they're like, and they're also, the little guys have no sense of how much trouble they're in, so they're acting in inappropriate ways and calling attention to themselves, you know, and acting out. So they're almost killed and and they go, what do we do now? You know? And they have to place their faith in this kind of weird looking guy that they haven't ever met or heard of. And he says, You have to come with me and we have to go even further away from your home to this elf land. So they don't trust this guy, but they've got nothing else to do. You know, what else can they do? So they go on this journey of a few more days when they're attacked by these riders, really almost killed. Frodo almost dies. He's stabbed with this kind of magical knife. They barely manage to get him to the elf land, Rivendell, before he dies. He almost dies. He's there for weeks. They manage to pull him back. So here he is, and it's been 10 million times now more scary and frightening than he ever could have imagined, more evil than he ever thought existed in the universe. They've also shown a lot more courage than they expected. And now here they are in this elf land, which is like a deva realm. Like they've always heard about elves, these beautiful, you know, good people. Up to this point, good and bad is really very, you know, very clear. There's clearly delineations. You know who's good, the elves. You know who's bad, the wraith riders. You know, there's no, you know, Okay, Strider, you weren't clear, but once you get to the elf land, you know he's good. And so they're in this Deva realm. It's like, wow, this is amazing. Better than I ever thought anything could be after worse than end. So this is it. Oh, now we can turn it over, and this was a wonderful adventure, and I see there's beauty in the world. Now we'll go back home, and la, 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 everything will be the same. No way, right? No way. It turns out that this ring, has to, they have to figure out what to do with it. It has to be taken to the most evil, dangerous place in the whole universe to be destroyed. And who can do it? They're all fighting about it already. So little Frodo realizes he has to do it. Again, he knows this is a lot worse than I ever thought. And I don't think I can do it. But no one else is doing it. At the same time, he still has no clue what he's signing up for. You know, <laughs> But he signs up for it. And a band of friends come to help him. And, and so he thought this beautiful Deva realm, that's the end of it. That was only the beginning. That was only the beginning. And then, you know, it starts this whole, you know, three books worth of a trek with the seven friends through all kinds of dangers. Gandalf, the leader, gets killed. And after a while, this band of seven starts to be torn apart from within. The evil in the ring starts to infect one of the people. And then Frodo realizes... He's getting stronger, but he's just this scared little guy. I can't even trust this group of people. I have to go alone over to the evil land of Mordor, which is just, you know, belching smoke and evil beings. And he has no clue how to get there. And he has to go by himself and his faithful friend goes into 
the land where the, the, the evil head of everything is getting ready for war. So there's tens of thousands of evil orcs. And he has to walk into the middle of this without having you know, any battle skills or anything by himself. You know, because now he can't trust even his friends. And his one little friend goes with him. And as they're getting over and walking, 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 walking for days into worse and worse and worse, trailed by a little kind of evil being who's always trying to ingratiate himself and steal the ring and all, then the evil stops being just from outside, you know. It starts to eat up Frodo from the inside. He starts not trusting his most devoted companion who never really had any kind of badness in him. He starts to trust the evil little guy that's following them. And it starts to be that you can't tell what's good and what's bad and what's evil and what's wholesome. You know, it's all starting to, to see, like Solzhenitsyn said, it's not that, and Alexander Solzhenitsyn, it's not that, you know, some hearts are good and some hearts are bad, but you know, evil and beauty is like a line that goes through all human hearts. And he's finding that. And as he's getting closer and closer, he starts to realize, first he was doing it because it seemed good and adventure. Then he was doing it to save his world and make his world okay. Then for his friends. And then as he goes on, he realizes, there's no way I'm going to live through this. It's so clear he's only doing it because it must be done for the benefit of all beings. It really turns, he's getting more and more eaten up by the evil in the ring, but the strength of this goodness. So the only thing that drives them on is completely impersonal by this point. He doesn't know. There's no way I can survive this. But he keeps on going, keeps on going, you know, and it really is turning into bodhicitta there by the end with no clue of what could happen. And in the end, he can't do it all by himself, you know. Even at the end, that little seemingly evil, twisted being, because that's there, it makes it possible. It you know, bites off his finger and throws the ring, and he falls with the ring into the fire, because at the last minute, Frodo just couldn't let go of it. Just couldn't let go of it. But then he didn't need to, because events came together in such a way that it happened. But I love that because it's like, if he knew from the beginning where it was going, no way, you know, no way in the world. But as it goes on and on and on, the, 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 the horror brings out a courage and a wisdom and a compassion and a love that just gets stronger and stronger and stronger and gives the strength to be with, with diff, more and more difficult things. And the motivation moves from being all about me and my happiness and la, 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 to just really what's for the good of beings. I mean, I didn't say it that way, but it was like that, you know. And we see the same stuff, but not in the same way, you know. So I just want to end with a quotation from Pema Chodron about bodhicitta, noble or awakened heart. We awaken this bodhicitta, this tenderness for life, when we can no longer shield ourselves from the vulnerability of our condition, from the basic fragility of existence. You let the pain of the world touch your heart and it turns into compassion. So let's just sit for a moment.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.